Word of God with you. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 6. And I want to continue what I started a few weeks ago and um, from the book of Hebrews and we're looking at the elementary principles of Christ. The elementary principles of Christ. Or spiritual foundations. There's another term we can is applicable, but it is important for us to, to grasp these things as Paul the Apostle here in the writer in Hebrews is, uh, is referencing too. Now just quickly to refresh your memory, last week we, well not last week, but a couple of weeks ago, we made reference to the context of those first two verses of chapter 6, which is really going to make up this series, but it was important that we just went back further into chapter 5 to consider the context that related to the issue of spiritual immaturity there in relation to the Christians. And remember, we made emphasis that Paul was predominantly writing here to the Hebrew Christians. And so the context that related to those that were coming in and wanting to bring them back unto aspects of the law of Moses and so forth. And, and so the whole book of Hebrews is centred around trying to establish how uh, all that was related to the first covenant is a shadow of things that were to come, but the substance is of Christ, and so this is, has to be the focus, and this is where we have to uh, abide. So, in light of that, they were being admonished for their spiritual immaturity, and um, even so, that uh, they uh, it was required of them to, if God permitted, to lay again the elementary principles, but Paul says that they, that they were to leave the discussion of the elementary principles. But we, uh, in this series, we're going through the elementary principles in order to identify them and establish them in their proper context because it is very, very important to understand, and especially as we're going to consider this this, this morning, uh, how these things work in the plan and purpose of God. So, let's read in chapter... 6 verse 1 to 3 and we'll see and we're going to look specifically well just one aspect this morning but let's read therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ let us go on to perfection or to maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. See, the emphasis again is for them to go on to leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, to go on to perfection uh, or to maturity. And so if we're going to move towards maturity as a Christian, that it is imperative that the foundation is set right that we understand uh, what is the elementary principles of Christ. And here we find the first one that is mentioned for us in chapter 6 is repentance from dead works. Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Now that statement contains two sides, if you want to call it, of the same coin. Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. And the two are very intricately woven together and, mind you, um, cannot be separated. 
because the two complement each other in relation to what we would determine and call salvation. And it is important that we understand how those are connected. But what I want to do today and this morning is focus, because time won't permit us to look at both uh, in terms of repentance and faith, but we want to look firstly at repentance from dead works. Because the issue of repentance is extremely important, especially when we talk about laying the foundation. Repentance is fundamental and uh, it must be understood and it must be evident in the one who claims to be forgiven of sin and to be right with God and to be saved. So the issue of repentance is stated first for very good reasons because they are uh, the issue of repentance relates to obedience to God and they are the first steps, they form the first steps of a Christian's walk uh, uh, with the Lord. Amen? People say, well, well, what about the issue of faith? Because it's faith alone that saves. But you see, that, uh, that's why the two are connected. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Because you can't take one and, disper- and disconnect it from the other. They both complement each other and together they establish each other as two truths that hold a various tension in terms of us being right before God. Because you can, the, 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 uh, James says the demons believe and tremble. And uh, so the issue of believing in God is not so fundamental. We talk about faith alone in relation to works uh, and in terms of working for our salvation. But here we're talking about the issue of repentance and repentance and faith are critical because you can't have uh, repentance without faith and you can't have faith without repentance. One man said it this way. He said, repentance... Where there is no faith is not true repentance. Faith where there is no repentance is no true faith. And so it's important that we make that distinction and draw uh, these truths from the scripture because it is imperative and important and even more so in the days in which we live. You see, Jesus came and he preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. What is the gospel of the kingdom of God? Is it simply to believe in Jesus Christ? Well, let's listen to the words of Jesus himself. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus speaks and it says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. These are the two pillars uh, that that uh, lay the foundation of salvation. Repentance and believe. And the two go hand in hand and they must be evident in the one who professes to know Christ as Saviour. And to be saved. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches his first message under the uh, having been baptized in the Holy Spirit and having received the boldness to stand up and preach Christ. He preaches Christ, and then they say, Well, what must we do to be saved? 
And in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, what was the first words that came out of Peter's mouth? Repent. Repent. And so you can see how central this is to the message and proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repentance forms the foundation. And I'm making this emphasis, and even Paul the Apostle, who was a, uh, the Apostle to the Gentiles, as he went forth preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God to the Gentiles, who were obviously had no connection to the, uh, to the first covenant and to the Old Testament and to the, all that related to the law of Moses. But what is the message that Paul preached? And we find on two occasions in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17... Verse 30, uh, Paul writes, or the writer writes, and it says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. So what was Paul's message? Repent. In these times of ignorance, God's overlooked, but now the time has come and the commandment of God is for all men everywhere to repent. He establishes this further again in Acts chapter 20, verse 21. He says, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, both to the Jew and the Greek, because the gospel applies to both, the gospel of the kingdom of God. What was the message? He says... Acts 20.21, testifying to Jews and to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. It couldn't be any clearer, could it? And that's why when we see in Hebrews, in relation to the elementary principles of Christ, the preaching of the kingdom of God is repent from dead works, repentance from sin and from dead works, and believing in and faith towards God. This is the fundamental message. When we talk about being born again, this is exactly, it goes hand in hand with this. Repentance and faith. But let us ask the question, is this the message that is being preached in, as a modern gospel in today's generation? I would say to, to a larger extent, it's not. If anything, we have a gospel now that says, just believe in Jesus. Just believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus? Oh, praise the Lord. You believe me? Be, we all believe. Praise God. The Catholics believe. Praise the Lord. They believe. Praise. Oh, we all believe. Praise the Lord. We're all joined together as one. Somehow, this issue of belief is the centrality of, of salvation and receiving God's forgiveness when it cannot be disconnected from repentance. Because repentance means turn away from dead works, turn away from that which is an offence to God, turn away from these things and follow and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I would say, this is why we've got those that do uh, legitimately talk about what we call easy believism. And there's a legitimacy to that because, you know, uh, we've got this superficial uh, presentation of the gospel and so, you know, yes, I believe and, and yet you look at uh, uh, some of the uh, lives of those that make those professions and you think there seems to be a disconnection here because there's, okay, you're professing faith 
but why are you living like this? Like, you know, what's missing? Repentance. Repentance. You see, repentance has been conveniently omitted from the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God for good reason, because preaching repentance is confrontational. Preaching repentance is offensive. I can tell you to believe, and you go, oh yeah, we all believe, praise the Lord. We can all hold hands and sing kumbaya. But if I tell you to repent and forsake that and quit doing that or uh, forsake this and, and turn and serve the Lord, turn away from your sin, turn away from your idolatry or whatever the case may be, that can, that, that's going to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. So repentance is being neglected uh, because it is a, it, it is, if you want to call it, it's the negative aspect of repentance, isn't it? Or of salvation. Faith is the positive. Praise the Lord. But the issue of repentance is the negative tone that is associated with this message. But it is imperative. It is the gospel. A gospel without repentance is no gospel. Can you say amen? You know, the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, and uh, he said uh, during the end of his lifetime, as one who was observing what was going on around him and where the church was heading, and uh, he made a statement which has been now widely accepted, I mean, because it's true, but he spoke prophetically and uh, he made reference that he could see a time coming in the future when Christianity and the message of the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God would be so corrupted that it would not be the gospel of the kingdom of God. It would be a, a, a lie, it would be a deception. And I'll, let me quote what William Booth said. I'm sure many are familiar with it, but it serves our purpose this morning. When he said, I consider that the chief dangers, which is, mind you, the Salvation Army have fallen right into this trap. And he's the founder of the Salvation Army, so he was prophesying about his own movement as well. I'm sure he may be mindful of that. He says, I consider that the chief dangers which confront the coming century, which was the century just past, will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance. Salvation without regeneration and heaven without an eternal hell. Does that sound familiar? Oh gosh, we are living in that day. And this was for war. Not only do we see it scripturally as we're looking at it this morning, uh, but we see those men of God of times past who contended earnestly for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. And I tell you, this issue of repentance has, has been removed from the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God. You see, as I've already made mention, there are those that will come and profess Christ and claim to believe and claim to have received God's forgiveness, and yet, in effect, uh, uh, there's no evidence. Now listen to this, there's no evidence of repentance in their life. Now I say this is important because when John the Baptist came and he came preaching a, a, a baptism of repentance, and his words were, bear fruit worthy of repentance. 
In other words, if there's repentance in your, if you are truly repenting before the Lord, then let it be evident. Let the fruit of repentance be observable. Let it be seen in your life to validate that your repentance is real and that your repentance is valid and acceptable in the sight of God. That is what is John the Baptist was reiterating when he said, said those words. And it bears truth. I mean, Jesus said, you judge a tree by its fruit. And the fruit has to be what we observe and in observing the fruit we must determine as whether or not there has been true repentance. Now I say this again because over the years my experience has been I've seen people respond to the message of the gospel. I've seen them be at an altar and in tears. But I've also seen them go out and though they have been moved emotionally, maybe they have, they have been convicted of the Holy Spirit, they have uh, uh, felt the, the guilt and the shame. But that's only one part of repentance as we will see. But yet in going out there is a failure to turn and renounce sin, to forsake those things that are unacceptable to the Lord. And so it's in that, and, and so we see it's in that context that we have uh, uh, the responsibility to judge uh, when those things are so clearly made manifest before us. Otherwise, uh, we, we, we'll, we can go to pe telling people that they're saved when there's no evidence of salvation, because repentance is not being observed in their life. So. In light of that, the question comes, well, what is true biblical repentance this morning? What is it? How can we define it? How, what do we see? How do we see it in the Scriptures? Because that is how we define true biblical repentance. And so we know what God expects, what God is looking for, and what is required of us. Now, in our text... It says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, let us go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Okay, repentance from dead works. Now, what are dead works? They can come into a number of categories. And in the context of, uh, of that which relates to the Hebrews, you would have to say the dead works relate now that Christ has come there's no use observing the, uh, that which relates to the old covenant. Now they were just shadows. They were, they were just, uh, they, there's no substance to these things whatsoever. Now that Christ has come, these things are dead works. You can go through all the works and forms of religion and through all of, it, all, all of those things and all it is, uh, is in, in, in following Christ, in receiving Christ, you are to repent and turn away from those things Turn away from those dead works and follow Jesus. You know, religion in all of its various shapes and forms is an offence to God, especially in light of the gospel of Christ. I was speaking to a, a guy the other day on the streets and he, was, he went to a Jesuit uh, school, Catholic school growing up. And, um, and so I, I began to just say to him, I said, well, you know, they practice this, 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 this. He goes, yep, yep, yep. I said, there's not one reference in the Bible to these things. 
And so, but the point being is if we're going to follow Jesus, then repentance means that you turn away from those dead works because that's what they are. They are dead works. They have no scriptural relevance. In actual fact, the practices of Catholicism are contrary and undermine and contradict the spiritual truths that are revealed to us in this book. Oh, but I believe. Then if you believe, where's repentance? Because you can't profess and practice that. And so... Uh, because, uh, and, and if there's no repentance, and you can claim ignorance, but well, now you know, are you going to repent? And if you refuse to repent, then your profession of faith is invalid to me. That might be offensive to you, but that's how I see it. And so there, there's those aspects uh, that relate to dead works, religion, in all of its various forms. But then there's the issue of sin. Dead works. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You know, when I became a Christian, I had lots of dead works in my life. There was sin, and there was the stain of sin, there was the guilt of sin, there was the shame of sin. And I tell you, the blood of Christ cleansed my conscience clean and, uh, and, uh, from dead works so that I could, with, with being a new creature in Christ, uh, I could walk with freedom and liberty in the, the, the gospel of Christ. Because I had been uh, cleansed from dead works through repentance of dead works, making confession of my sins before the Lord. You see, in the, in the, uh, let's look at this word repentance and we'll look at it in the Hebrew and the Greek because they're both, make, uh, they're both uh, in, interconnected and, and teach us similar aspects in relation to repentance. But in the Hebrew, there's two words that, that form the basis or related to the word repentance. One is, I'm not even going to try, nakim, I think is the word, but it literally as you study it, in the same way in, in Genesis 6 where it talks about God, how God had repented that he had made men in terms of when he looked at the wickedness of men and before the flood. And that word uh, literally means to, uh, to a deep sigh, uh, to regret one's actions, you know. And so in this sense, I mean, obviously we see it with God in that sense, but the truth of the word applies that when we look at our lives in disobedience to God and when we're going to find the fruit of re repentance in our lives, then one of the identifying aspects will be a deep sense in the, in the emotional side of things that we feel our sin and we, uh, we regret the actions and the things that we have done and we take ownership of those things in the sense that we are willing to repent before the Lord. And so it's a, it's a sense of, of, of identification and how we feel about what we have done, how we recognize what we have done. But then there's another word, and this con uh, uh, is, is the word shub or shub in Hebrew, and it means to turn back to retreat, to, to, to change direction. And this is the action of repentance. You see, because the two go hand in hand, don't they? 
there's, there's that which relates to the, the emotional side of things and the way that we feel uh, uh, for what we have done. And then there is the second part of repentance which relates to our will and our action and the choices that we then proceed from that. And that's what makes up repentance. And if you just have one without the other, then we're missing out an, uh, an understanding on what true biblical repentance is. In the Greek, there is one particular word that we refer to, which is the word metanoia, but, there's a, but it has, there's a couple of aspects to the word that give us an overview and, a, and an understanding of the word repent. And so they, come from, they all come from the same root word in the Greek, but there's three particular words. One is metaneo, one is metananolomi, or something like that. You guys, Greeks, you can laugh at me, that's okay. Don't worry, they're in my Bible study, so I just have to put up with them. <laughs> uh, when you're an Aussie trying to say Greek words sometimes it doesn't really work that well you know what I mean then there's the word metanoia but you see all of these have different distinctives that are related to the word repentance and what repentance means and so metanoia is a change it relates to a change of mind in our understanding. And so, and so when a person it comes to God, there is, an in, uh, there is a, there's something that happens within the mind. There is a shift and there is a change as we, as we understand our sin and our, understand our errors and understand our wrongdoing before a holy God and we, our mind changes. We change our mind about things and the way now we don't think according to the world and what it dictates, but now we begin to think according to the word of God and agree with what God says. Then there's the word metanalemai, which means a change of heart. This relates, again, uh, to the issues of the feelings or the grief that we have over sin. Or you can even relate it to a godly sorrow. There's also a negative aspect to this, and we'll touch on it in a moment. But, but again, we're dealing with that aspect that relates to the emotions. And then there's the word met, metanoia, which means a change of course of life, or a change of course. In, in this sense, we're talking about in the will. In the same way we find the Hebrew words and the Greek words, they are interconnecting, and we're getting an, over, an overview and a picture of what legitimate Pure repentance biblically is. And it involves those three fundamental aspects that relate to the way in which we think and the way in which we feel and the way in which we act. And they all complement each other in repentance. You can't have one without the other. For example, this word metanomiae, whatever you want to call it, is the same word that refers to, uh, is used when Judas... Uh, betrayed Jesus and he was remorseful but you see and so that feeling what he did well of course it's a good feeling to have because it was wrong but it didn't lead to repentance it led to him killing himself see remorse is not repentance people get remorseful when they get caught they didn't plan on repenting <laughs> you know what I'm saying you ever get caught for something and then you know, you, you'll, you know, you're trying to hide it the whole time. And you feel bad. You feel terrible. You just got caught. You're filled with remorse. 
but yet you haven't repented. You just feel bad. And, and that, that, that remorse is not repentance in the biblical sense of the word. I, again, I, I've, I've, I've seen this where people um, uh, are weeping and feeling terrible about something and, they, they, and we, can, we can weep tears and tears but yet we've failed to act and to truly repent and forsake sin as God would require us. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, he who covers his sins will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes shall or uh, will have mercy. So can you see that there has to be a forsaking? This defines repentance. You know, the best example and demonstration of repentance is found in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And when you read about that, you see all, all three of those aspects that relate to repentance being expressed in the story that Jesus gives us. And here's the prodigal. He's gone out and, to, uh, and he's wasted uh, his possessions, his life, and living in sin and disobedience to his, to, to his father. Or in this sense, you know, we relate it back to God. It's a picture. But the Bible says, as he was in the pig pen, he came to himself. Oh, there's something wonderful about that. There's the change of mind. He came to himself. And then he began to reason. So he had the feeling of the shame and guilt of sin would come upon him. And then it led to him changing not just in his mind and in his heart, but that then led to an act in which he went back to his father. And you see, all three are incorporated. You know, but it's interesting, you know... You know what, it's sad because it, it, it's just human nature and it's our sinful nature. But you see, why is it that we have to end up in the pig pen before we repent? Because we're stubborn. We're proud. And God allows us in our sin many times to come to such a place of depravity, of brokenness, of loneliness, and where sin has just so crushed us because up until then, we're not willing to repent. You know why? Because we still enjoy our sin. We still like what we do. We're still happy to hang on to it. We think it's valuable in some way. But until it burns us and destroys us and breaks us before the Lord, and we, we yield and we say, Lord, I'm willing to repent in true repentance. You see, some of the fruits of repentance is what the Bible calls godly sorrow is, is, or, uh, or is, or sin, is something that we can identify. Confession of sin. See, he who confesses and forsakes shall find mercy. Confession of sin is important. He who covers his sin can't prosper. So confession is part of repentance. Okay? So confession of sin is critical for salvation and deliverance and freedom in Christ. A hatred for sin. We have to learn to hate those things that we once loved because God hates them. And then, so we're talking about a forsaking sin, a turning to God, 
And one other aspect of repentance that I think is important for us to take note of is the issue of restitution. You know, when Zacchaeus had in his encounter with Jesus Christ, the Bible says that Zacchaeus' response to Christ was he says, if I have uh, defrauded anyone, I will repay them, because he was a tax collector, corrupt one. And he says, I will repay them fourfold of what I owe them. And so, in other words, as part of his repentance, he was, he was making restitution. And restitution is, is an important aspect of repentance. Now, you can only make res- restitution where it's practically applicable to do so. But there are some instances where restitution is required. In order, you know what, well, I need to make this wrong right. I need to go back and maybe do this or do A, B or C. So in order to make restitution, because that forms part of the basis of repentance. Now, again, this requires wisdom in certain circumstances, uh, um, but nevertheless, I put it out there because it is an important aspect of repentance and where God would prompt us to, where God would direct us to, then it was maybe necessary for us to make that level of restitution as part of our repentance before God. Okay? I just thought we'd identify that. But the whole issue of repentance is so important. Now let me ask this question this morning. Does repentance exclusively find its beginnings with us. Does repentance exclusively find its roots or its beginnings with us? Because we've made such an emphasis on our actions. We've made such an emphasis on how we think and how we feel and how we act. And so we find uh, that it's in all that relates to us, what is important to understand is that repentance still does not originate with us. You know, if you read the Bible, you begin to find that this is the, the whole issue of repentance is a work of God's grace in the soul of man. You know, the Bible says no one comes to God unless God draws them. So you can't repent unless God draws you to repent. Okay? No one comes to the God unless God draws them. And so what I'm saying is, is that there is an aspect that relates to our will. Okay? But there is a divine initiative that, where it begins, where God begins to work in our hearts by drawing us to himself. And so this is why we have this issue of a revelation of who God is. That's why we have conviction of sin and we begin to feel the weight and burden of our sin and all these things contribute to bring us to repentance but you know why you have that revelation you know why you feel the way you feel is because the spirit of god's dealing with you god in his grace has come to you and he is working in your heart and he's bringing you and drawing you to repentance and this is an initiative of god's grace Let me establish this by just reading to you a couple of scriptures. In Acts chapter 5, verse 31, Him God has exalted to His right hand, Jesus, to be Prince and Saviour, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. To give repentance. Acts chapter 11, verse 18. When they heard these sayings, they became silent. And this is when the gospel was coming to the Gentiles. 
and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. God has granted repentance to the Gentiles. He not only had granted it to Israel in Acts 5, he's now granted it to the Gentiles, amen, in Acts 11. And mind you, as this applies to, to, to the Christian uh, uh, and to the, also to the Christian life and to the church and to those that are unsaved, those that are saved, but there's another aspect to this and I don't want to go into its depths but I just want to touch upon it to illustrate it. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, and it talks about the, the role of the elder in, in correcting those who are in opposition to them and it says, In humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses. There's that word again, come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. That if God perhaps would grant them repentance. See, even as a minister, even as somebody who would, tr would try and uh, show someone from the scriptures various doctrinal truths and yet who are those that are opposing them, uh, even in functioning in that manner, it is still God that we, perhaps God would grant them repentance because uh, I can't make them do anything and they can't make themselves do anything, but I pray that God gets involved in the situation and God begins to move on the heart and if repentance comes forth, it was a result of God's grace at work. Amen? That's how it works, church. I would never have repented if God did not come to me in His grace. I was slave to sin, church. I was lost. I had no revelation of God, no concern for God, no care for God until I was my, awakened in my soul and I was convicted of my sin and I felt the guilt and the shame that was so weighed so heavily upon me. And in repentance, I was saved and I tell you, the, where I worked, people thought I went crazy. I tell you now, I was crazy before I repented, not after. But you see, they saw such a distinction in my life. They saw such a transformation. They couldn't make sense of it. But in repentance, I forsook my sin. And that doesn't mean that I never sinned again. But I tell you, there was a marked difference. I didn't continue in my sin. I had repented. And I tell you, when I stopped smoking dope and I stopped my alcohol and I stopped my moral lifestyle and I stopped all the things that I had been pursuing in those years and my life was radically changed and transformed and here I am, this long-haired lout, Yobbo, Bogan, who's, who's in KFC and I have a reputation and I'm talking to them all about Jesus. And I tell you, they thought, what has gone on? And I tell you, it was the gospel. It was God's grace. And it was the result of repentance and the fruit thereof that was manifest in my life. And I give glory to God. You know, another thing I just want to touch on quickly is we never outgrow repentance. Amen? None of us do. It's a biblical 
principle that obviously we're looking at it as an elementary principle in relation to salvation. But, you know, in the process of sanctification and over the longevity of our walk as a Christian, none of us are beyond the realms of repentance. And so often we have to ourselves come to the Lord in repentance and uh, uh, we find Jesus even in these, um, as he addresses the churches, what is, what's he calling them to do? Repent, repent. And so this is something that is, uh, is required and is necessary in the context of our Christian life. Thank God there is grace to repent from dead works. And I just want to conclude this morning. And I just, you know, when you preach a sermon like this, you can't not put the question out there in relation to repentance. Maybe, and I trust and I, I believe, that God is calling people to repentance. Repentance from dead works and faith. I'm not asking you, do you feel bad? about your sin although that's one aspect and I pray that you do because if you can practice sin and not feel bad I I fear for you if you can disobey God and sit in this place then there's something that's not right you have to repent you have to turn from your sin and you have to forsake it and then it's repentance from dead works and faith towards God. And so, you know what? There may, it may be that there are those here this morning that God is dealing with us in relation to repentance. God is calling you to specifically repent in relation to sin or an issue of disobedience in your life or something that needs to be confessed and repented of. I tell you, do that and you will find mercy. You will walk away free indeed. And so I want to exhort anyone that's here this morning, if if God is dealing with you and you recognize the need for repentance in your life, then I want you to come forward this morning publicly before God and before the assembly. This is not to shame you. This is not to embarrass you. But I tell you now, there's something profound when we can, you know, it's easy just to sit there and, you know, it's just between me and God, you know. But I want to tell you, there's something about us coming together as a body and as assembly. And I, and, and I exhort you to come to Jesus. Jesus suffered a public and horrific death outside the camp. And I tell you, if we need to repent and come before the Lord in repentance, then I want to encourage you to come forward this morning and repent. Begin to call upon God. Let us lead you in prayer and that you can experience the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ because that's, it's in repentance and faith towards God. There lies our deliverance and our healing this morning. And so we're going to sing a song. Can I ask the band just to come up? And if you want prayer, if you want to repent and you want to do business with God, then I'm, I'm going to ask you to come forward for prayer this morning just to come to the front and say God I need to repent anyone yeah all to Jesus I surrender that's the one let's sing that let's stand together and just sing a song of worship if you want prayer if God's dealing with you I want to encourage you to come this morning Thank mm-hmm. you.
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. And so I pray that the issue of repentance is clear in our minds. It incorporates those aspects working together to bring about an understanding of what true biblical repentance is. Let us practice that before the Lord. Amen. Next week, next week uh, we'll, we'll go on this, the second part of that, which is faith towards God. And so we look forward to that. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just ask, as we conclude, Lord, our service this morning, God, we just thank you for your word and for your presence and power. God, I just pray, and I think, Lord, of this scripture, repent and be converted, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And God, I just pray that as we would walk in this, that we would experience the refreshing, the refreshing of the Spirit of God that so cleanses us and washes us in the blood and purifies our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and blessing upon all. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Let's have some fellowship.